Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. I got my Tennessee orange, the polo. We got one Knoxville over there. And uh, what part are we saying west? What are we saying? Which- we'll say west. Uh, there's some orange on here. Yeah. The sun is orange. The little uh, <laughs> lettering is orange, I think, or the background is. Stats by Will. Will Warren. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, excited that September has arrived. Mm. Uh, excited that both football and football season are in full swing. Mm-hmm. Uh, good time of the year to be alive, I think, September. A lot of good I mean, fall happening. is undefeated. Like we've been doing our nightly walks uh, with fiance and Khaleesi the dog who has passed out next to me and her uh, Tennessee volunteer handkerchief. So very excited that we were able to bring that back for this season. Um, but man, fall in East Tennessee, the views, the feeling. I cannot wait for, I mean, look, I love the sports season part of this, but it's also just the weather. It's peak weather. I think you ranked October number one in your in your list, Will. Yes, I, I would say so. I, I don't know. I'm... I'm not like as big of a college football fan as I used to be, but mm. I realized I've got a sickness the other day when I felt se- this is just football in general. I felt something serious when I heard the NFL on Fox theme for the first time mm. in several months. That is an all-time banger. Of, All like, of them are bangers, man. Yeah. And you know what's a NBC sneaky banger? really good too. The new Amazon one is great. The Thursday Night Football for Amazon it sounds like D2 Mighty Ducks. Like it's <laughs> top notch for me. Um, it, uh, it's it's a banger as well. But no, man, uh, it's a great time of year. Uh, I'll be in the building. Uh, folks here in this, uh, I've already been at uh, the Tennessee football game this evening. But um, yeah, man, it's uh, it's back. It's Some might say Tennessee f- football is back. Some might say uh, it's football time in Tennessee, perhaps. I'm saying uh, some- it's back in the sense that it's come back for another season. They're playing Dude. again. Hey, well, I am all I have drank so much orange Kool-Aid over the past few months that uh, I am just here. I am going to be. This is why I'll never do the media stuff for Tennessee is I will get escorted out of the <laughs> media area so quick because I'm I'm going to emote, man. Like I'm going to motor. Uh, for what this is stuff. what is the name of the Saints commentator? Is it Bobby Bear? Uh, the guy who's like making obscene gestures at Vikings fans when the Saints made the Super Bowl the Mm -hmm. first time. Yeah, that that could be you. uh, That could be me. Well, against Florida, for example. Goodness gracious! Like I was unbearable the first quarter against Georgia. Uh, Like (laughs) I had really good uh, seats for that one, and surrounded by Georgia fans to the left of me, and just uh, me saying at the beginning, I remember I told him I was like I guarantee you we're up at the end of the first quarter and they're like oh and that's actually how they sounded and they uh i, I kept pointing and i kept pointing like at 10 7 is that, is that 10 7 after the first quarter is that i didn't say anything about the rest of the game but i, I did i say that we would score already? is that is that what's happening there uh raise the banner forever 17 points on the national champions uh this past year people forget uh will warren um, don't forget, folks, you can watch this very program as well on youtube.com slash chase podcast, like and subscribe as we continue growing out the video content front. Um, all of our full episodes up there, clips, all that good stuff. Um, so you can see Will's uh, one Knoxville shirt, uh, my, uh, you know, my Tennessee polo. I'm not wearing this. I'm wearing the Columbia orange Tennessee uh, fishing shirt. Uh, those are 
top notch um, and they breathable will yeah, as a low key for, I mean, great for today because it's great like, for today great good dew point out there it's like a 60 degree dew point so it's not going to be too humid there you go but it's still going to be like why it's like 88 right now right so it's hot still crap be right now yeah no it's uh it's too hot right now so we'll see um but i am just i'm jazzed up man you know what i'm not jazzed up for my one of my professors who actually i could, shouldn't do this i shouldn't do this on air just in case they ever you never know you yeah, never you know never if you know. get a run to for a letter recommendation yes there you go um will warren best home arena atmospheres you are very very jazzed up here you're not a rep guy you've never been a rep guy what do you make of this list from friend of the pod matt norlander on uh on his his compart is uh his list all right what do you agree with what do you not what uh for college basketball first of all shout out to matt norlander i think that guy wakes up on like june 17th and is mm. thinking about murray state sixth man like yes. that guy lives and breathes and dies by college hoops but anyway so this is a cbs sports list where they surveyed a bunch of college coaches i think they said 100 mm. total uh for their best environments in college hoops and so there's only two that were on over half of the ballots kansas and duke and i think that's entirely fair both amazing mm. arenas um, and third on there, a little surprisingly, it was Gonzaga's. Uh, I wonder why uh, Mr. Calipari refused to play there. Yeah. Um, but then it kind of what it becomes really interesting to me is there's tier two and tier three. And tier two is like you're on double digit percentage of ballots, but not 20 percent or more. Tier three is just like five or more ballots. Hmm. I was surprised, frankly, to see Kentucky in tier two hmm. uh, as tied for the sixth best more or less sixth best arena in college basketball convenient. Very funny. It's tied with Indiana actually. Um, so I don't know, man. I, maybe it's better in person and maybe this is just a function of when Kentucky's had bigger games. It just feels like a lot of them have been on like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, mm-hmm. but Rupp does not really feel like that great of a home atmosphere on the whole. So mm. I, I went digging and so last year, you know, obviously nine SEC home games. The comment that's in the article is that they put in 20,000 no matter who the opponent. First mm. of all, false. They put in <laughs> 20,000 or more for four of their nine home SEC games. That's mm-hmm. not even half. And secondly, watching on TV is a little bit of a fool's errand because your crowd only sounds as good as the sound mixer running the board for you. Mm. But... Very few times have I watched Rupp the last few years where I've come away thinking that was an amazing atmosphere in the level of Texas Tech. That hmm. was an amazing atmosphere in the level of Kansas. Heck, that was an amazing atmosphere in the level of Auburn or Arkansas. I think if you were going to pick an SEC team that has the best home environment, it's Arkansas. That place is terrifying to play. Is that a Tennessee thing or is it? I just... think it's every for everybody, basically, because hmm. their fans are the most brutal towards towards officials that I have seen in the SEC, like Hmm. to a remarkable extent. And I I commend them for it. Not that, you know, I'm advising you treat officials inhumanely, which I also am, but I'm also not. (laughs) Um, But they're just so consistent, whistle to whistle, no matter how good Arkansas is. And that was the thing when Alabama and Arkansas had those simultaneous openings. One got Nate Oates, one got Musselman. 
obviously Oats has done really well, but I said at the time, I'm more afraid of what Arkansas does because their fans simply care way more about basketball than Mm -hmm. pretty much any other SEC fan base that's not Kentucky. So, and I think on the whole, it seems like Kentucky's crowd is older, you know, a little more up there in age. Their student section, I've never really seen on the broadcast. They don't, Mm. it doesn't seem to be made an emphasis like it is at Auburn or Tennessee or even Arkansas. And it seems uh, Matt Jones has also mentioned in the past his dissatisfaction to where they place the students. So uh, I wonder, where do they place them? I, I think like in the end zone, but they don't get many seats compared to hmm. what you would think. So I don't know. Uh, I liked this list in the whole because I it has Purdue tied for fourth, and I would strongly agree that Purdue's home court is amazing. Hmm. You know, Indiana's is great when they're good. Same with Michigan State. Same with Auburn. Same with Texas Tech. Tennessee was like kind of like fifteenth or so, which feels fair. But I was just thinking, you know, you don't really get the that many games at Rupp where you're like, that was an amazing crowd, at least on mm. TV. Whereas with a school like Texas Tech, I feel like every single Big 12 home game last year, we left talking about how good the fans were. Yeah. Texas Tech's done a good job. Um, I also think it's funny, and I feel like this was just for you, the the arena name for Texas Tech. People oh, forget. United Supermarkets Arena? Incredible. Uh, it, incredible. it is truly good. Um, I would have thought that you would have said Auburn as the tier one school, because I think right now there's a case that Auburn's the best home atmosphere in the SEC right now. If they were, if their arena was bigger, I think I would agree. But the Mm. fact that Arkansas basically sells out every game in their 20,000 seat arena versus Auburn selling out every game in their 9,000 seat arena, it is bandboxy and scary to play at. But I, I just feel like, I would give the edge to Arkansas for best SEC home court just on longevity. Uh, they've had the best SEC home court as long as I've been watching. Who's uh, the worst? Mississippi State? I think it's Ole Miss. Ole Miss is Ole pretty Miss is bad. Right. Mississippi State, not good either. Um, the most overrated is Vanderbilt's because it's mm. just the layout. The fans themselves don't really do anything anymore. And I, I understand like when it was the Shan Foster and John Jenkins era, is a lot better. Obviously, they don't have much to cheer for now, but uh, it's it's never really been that frightening a place to play. Um, Can we but, also say though, with the in terms of Gonzaga on this list, I think people make up their rules as they go along because one of the people quoted in the story said, "quote um, When you travel that far to play them, it's a really long way to go get your ass kicked. Feel it, fans. <laughs> feel like they are on top of you." Okay. I don't know what that has to do with the intensity of just, okay, geography, you're tired when you go over there because you're typically having to travel a long way to get there. And then they're a good basketball team, so it makes it worse that um, it's an uh, intimate environment with a an elite basketball program tucked away in the middle of nowhere of Northwest uh, United States. That's just like, okay, I don't know if that makes it yeah. a tier one place it's just oh this is the one of the best programs in the country and it's a pain in the ass to get there i don't know why that would factor in but i mean i guess it does when you're i i get the that part of it but i feel like well if you're a wcc school that's not like portland's not try it like it's not a big flight for them or whatever like they're that that logic doesn't work for me i don't know that was kind of odd I didn't. Yeah. uh, Some of their uh, reasoning there is a little strange. I did like, uh, and also 
I've never watched a Gonzaga game and felt like the arena was super vertical. Like how yeah. they're saying, like at Indiana, one hundred percent. Yes, I feel like people who sit in the upper deck at Assembly Hall are in constant death risk if hmm. you take one wrong step. <laughs> that place looks scary, but it looks awesome. It's sad that Hinkle isn't isn't in there right now. Yeah, I I think that's just like they've got to get back to mm-hmm. you know. Because I think you make the case, right? That's the prettiest arena in oh, college the pretty, basketball. The prettiest for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Cedric also in on the conversation <laughs> as he makes his appearance on the YouTube channel. Uh, shout out to our guy, Cedric. I would um, also say underrated bad SEC atmosphere is Florida's. Uh, hmm. Florida very rarely has a good crowd anymore, which is a shame because in the 2000s, they frequently did. I would agree. Um, you know, it's a good place. I will say Georgia Tech having with my late grandfather going to a lot of tech baseball game or I mean, baseball games as well, but basketball for sure. Um, tech is tech is like the underrated sports venue place university in the Southeast where the baseball stadium, the outlook is like almost like the Pittsburgh Pirates where you have downtown Atlanta in the backdrop. It's gorgeous. The baseball field's perfect spot. Football field, the flats, uh, just a gorgeous stadium as uh, the fiance makes her appearance on to the podcast. Um, and the basketball court, it's new. Uh, I think it's called McCamish, but no bad seat. Very cool. Um, I, I don't know. I And then the crowd is pretty into it. Like, Georgia Tech could do something more. And I, Josh Passner is also my favorite college basketball coach, which um, goes a long way. Like, having talked to him a lot, and he is hilarious. Like, Josh Passner is one of the most real, likable human beings in this sport and i wish him nothing but the best and i hope it works out for him at tech because he is an absolute delight um but we'll see we'll see will um next up i want to throw this to you ucla they're back Did you hear about this did you see this the ucla bruins are back and that's great for college basketball um starting five though for next year i pose this question to you really good piece on cbssports.com uh predicting their lineup but to me my question for you is does this look like a title team if that is their five-man starting lineup going into next year? Does that feel like a Ken Palm top four, top five team? It doesn't feel like a Ken Palm top four, top five team, uh, but it's not going to be outside the top ten. I think if I had to put a not a limb but a toe, I would guess like seventh. I think hmm. seventh feels about right for them. So, so, And I looked this up in my blog to make sure because I remember writing about it last year. Uh, this is such a, it's a one spot thing, but Mm. the last seven national champions now have started the year, at least in Ken Palm's top six. So you have a great guess as to who the national champion is going to be on November 7th. Uh, It's going to be one of six teams in all likelihood. Mm. UCLA could very well be one of those six. Uh, I love seeing uh, Jaime Jaquez Jr. coming back for what I think is his COVID year. Uh, Tiger Campbell back again. Amari Bailey is going to be really exciting. Mm. Um, I think it could be, but I'm not as confident in that as I am about five or six other rosters, I would say. I, I like UCLA a lot, and Cronin's building something pretty impressive there. I think this is going to be their third at, I mean, third, well, I guess. It would be you would be hard pressed to count twenty twenty one as a top ten team. They just kind of got hot at the right time. But we'll say third, you know, elite eight or better level potential team in a row. I, I think they're going to have a chance to take it far. You know, tile expectations might be a bit much, but that's you know that's going to be a team that hangs around in the top ten for most of the season to me. And if you're at least in that range, 
you have the chance to win a title. So in some way, yes. But am I, do I like them as much as, you know, uh, North Carolina or Gonzaga or Houston? No. Okay. There you go. I like it. Um, next up on our wrong coach series at the current university. This one might be a surprise to folks, but did you know that Mike Hopkins was still the head basketball coach at the University of Washington where people just kind of moved on because like there was some momentum right away. And that was one of those hindsight 2020 hires where coming from the Bayheim tree, a lot of folks were very enthused by uh, that hire. And it's like, oh, you had Chris Peterson for the football program. They had a lot of momentum. Like they were like, okay, Hopkins, Peterson, this is a good state of affairs for the two revenue sports, UW, big market, all that kind of stuff. They've had superstars come out of Washington. It's a good basketball town. Um, Seattle, obviously, with Jamal Crawford and the Pro-Am. And there's just a lot of talent that comes out of UW, Isaiah Thomas, um, in that area. I am curious for you, Will, is it now just the point where it, he is the wrong coach and it's just not going to work for Mike Hopkins at, uh, at UW? And also, is it a UW problem more so than a Mike Hopkins problem? Is there more at play here? Um, I'd say he's the wrong coach. I, so you look back at their one tournament team, best mm. player on that team, Matisse Thybul, recruited by Lorenzo Romar. Yeah. Second best player, recruited by Romar three-fifths of the starting lineup recruited by Romar. And has Hopkins recruited some good guys? Sure. I mean, Isaiah Stewart is making a positive impact in the NBA. Jaden McDaniels has. Uh, he got Jalen Noel on the roster. Jackson Grant is there this year. I mean, in ter- if you want to count, like, the portal is recruiting, getting Keon Brooks out of the portal is a pretty nice get. And what has it resulted in? Nothing really. I mean, you got the one round of 32 run where they were the best team in a very bad Pac-12. And aside from that, it's, you know, count out, take out that year. It's 10 and 8, 5 and 13, 4 and 16, and 11 and 9 in the Pac-12. That is not really what I thought he would be. I thought at the time it was a very good hire because my thought was Ramar has built a solid roster in terms of talent, Mm. but I did not think he was a good coach. And I thought the results backed that up. And I thought if you take that governor off and you let a a coach really get in there and push it, then I think it might work out well, but this sort of Syracuse zone thing hasn't really worked out. They can't rebound at all. They're one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in America year over year. They've stopped forcing turnovers at an elite rate and he has yet to have an offense that's anything other than disgusting. Uh, I mean, if you want me to be real, the person who is most real, responsible well. for Jaden McDaniels falling out of the lottery is Mike Hopkins because mm. he entered college as a very likely top 10 pick. And yeah. some of that is on McDaniels, of course. He was really bad at Washington. And it was kind of surprising he still got taken in the first round. But it was just a horrible fit of player and system and they did nothing to change stuff around for him. So, yeah, I mean, this is going to be year six of Mike Hopkins and yes, three out of five years, they finished above 500 in the PAC 12. I would be more impressed by that. If the PAC 12 were better than, you know, the fifth or sixth best conference year over year, we don't like give out flowers for guys finishing above 500, three out of five years in the American, do we? Mm. So, I mean, like, 
Cincinnati just fired a dude <laughs> who won their conference the first time he did it. Yeah. And then was not bad his second year. They have a high standard. So I think this is both a Hopkins problem and a Washington problem in that they're just not a serious basketball program at this time. Which is sad, like, right? Like they should yeah. be. Like there's too much talent. Like I've I'm on the just hire Brandon Roy bandwagon. See what happens. Just bring in Brandon Roy. I think they should because basketball fans have kind of forgotten just how good he was. Yeah. But he's also uh, coach. before he's all the coach. injuries. But mm-hmm. so I don't know if there's stats out there because so Washington is not a private school, correct? Or no, they? yeah, it's a public school. Okay, I well, so I'm looking now because I was trying to figure this out. They spend at, at least as of 2022 7.6 mil uh, on their basketball budget. That's about 40th best. Hmm. So I mean, is that you know elite levels? Of course not. That's basically what Maryland and Miami and UConn spend. But for what Maryland, Miami, and UConn spend, you should be making the tournament every other year, right? Yeah. Not once out of five tries, and really you were kind of lucky to get in in the first place. So, yeah, I mean, I I think Washington could invest more. I think there's some structural issues there, but Hopkins needs to go. I was honestly shocked he didn't go after this last season. Um, That feels... You never want to wish it upon somebody, but that feels like an obvious candidate for an in-season firing. They were 49th in team recruiting per 247 Sports last year, um, and I can't even find them in 2020 where they ended up. Um, it was pretty far back, and I'm, I'm still going, and I don't see them. Um, he's just not the recruiter that he needs to be, and I think I think Washington can have a high standard. And you look at what Kyle Smith's doing, at Washington State, like not the same kind of recruiting, but it's a system that works and it's a system that we understand. And um, like, oh, you you get why you're doing this. Like you have to play a certain style to win because you're. it's just going to be hard to recruit in Pullman, uh, Washington. Yeah. UW doesn't have that. They're a national brand. Like this is a big market, national brand, a bunch of talent in that area. Basketball is a big deal. Dana Altman's done a great job at Oregon. Like they might contend for a title. Like they might just get Bronny James. It looks like that's a possibility. You look at it and everyone around them, like San Francisco, you look at St. Mary's, like how does Tommy Lloyd get to Arizona and not UW? Like, why is that not a serious thing where he could have stayed in the Northwest? And I, I think Washington is a very fascinating situation. And I think, I mean, the Jimmy Lake stuff goes horribly awry this past year with the football team and we'll see what happens with Kalen DeBoer but I think the athletic department might need to uh, undergo a serious overhaul because it's just a mess right now all across the board well it's like Washington State is one thing right Mm. and some and Oregon too but how are you worse than Colorado every single year yeah Colorado has zero basketball history, really, mm. other than Tad Boyle. And Tad Boyle has made it something pretty solid, of course, over the yeah. course of the last decade. But you should, I mean, with the money they invest and with the proximity to Seattle, being in Seattle and being on the West Coast with a ton of talent, mm. and given that they recruit California heavily in every sport, how are you worse than Colorado every year? That just shouldn't happen for them. I agree. Um, anything new with the Tennessee volunteer basketball team, Will? So I, I looked, because I'm getting uh, restless, um, to see when they released the SEC basketball schedule dates last year, and it was September 30th, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I have a feeling they'll come out soon. 
I'm willing to guess Tennessee's first game is one at home because they haven't started the season at home in three years, and two against Alabama. Huh. Which I didn't realize exciting. that. So I, I think they it would be nice if they would play Alabama to start. Get you a good one to get rolling. Nice marquee home opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, a uh, little bit of I don't think it's like a basketball rivalry. Really, it's like it's it's only a basketball rivalry if you think of football. Because mm-hmm. I mean, Tennessee and Alabama have rarely been good at the same time in hoops. Uh, so, uh, but it would be exciting. I mean, other than that, we just kind of wait, and everybody's excited about football. Um, I'm just excited for the basketball season for the SEC play. Like, I'm ready to get to that because I think this is the deepest the SEC has been basketball-wise in a really long time. Like, you can make the case for so many different programs right now. Um, And even the ones that we were so down on, like, we'll see what happens with Mississippi State. They went outside the box with their new hire. Um, Missouri should be better. Uh, Vanderbilt, uh, we're pretty out on. But, like, by and large, the worst couple programs in the basketball uh, sphere for the SEC this year, I think are still going to be pretty solid overall. Like not just, there's not a lot of atrocious basketball in the SEC anymore um, by and large. For sure. And I think they're going to have an outside shot at nine bids this year. Yeah. Uh, which they've never done before. The record for the conference is eight, which they did hmm. in 2018. Uh, and they've only done eight even once. So I, I think eight should be the expectation Mm. Uh, with nine as a stretch, which would be quite impressive. I think that would place them, you know, on that Big 12 level of, you know, fighting for the best conference in America. And fingers crossed that our favorite main high school athlete, J.P. Estrella, chooses the ball sooner or later. I think, isn't he supposed to decide this weekend or something? It's very soon. I thought he was supposed to decide today. Is it today? I could be wrong. Uh, We're recording this on a Thursday. Because it hasn't come out yet, right? Oh, tomorrow, Friday, September 2. But this will come out uh, the same day. So um, that that's another big one in this class. I mean, that's... That, uh, the 22-year-old man who does all of the edits for high school basketball players said he's committing tomorrow. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Um, By the way, how has The Athletic not done a deep dive on that guy? <laughs> so Okay, there's two, two deep dives I think should happen on The Athletic for me to keep okay. my subscription. One... Matthew loves ball, the YouTube account, greatest account on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are listening to this and you know what I'm talking about, you get it. That's a guy who for, I don't know what he does for a living. And I don't feel like he makes a living on this, but mm-hmm. God bless him. That man makes 20 minute cuts of every single division one college football game every single week. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. As long as it's on TV, he's going to have a super cut of it with almost every single play from the game uploaded. Uh, that man is a miracle worker. He does the same for basketball too and other sports. Uh, but I want one on Matthew Lowe's ball and that Tipton edits guy. Hmm. Tipton edits, uh, by my understanding, is a 22-year-old from Alabama who has somehow become the recruit whisperer and uh, knows where every recruit is going because he makes their edits. So There you go. Um, final Subject matter for our college basketball podcast today, Matt or Matt Green. Wow, because I was saying college. Oh, this is wow. Uh, Will Warren. That's shameful. Uh, but I liked Matt Green's pick of Purdue. Yeah, Big Purdue. Guy. Well, hold on. That it was Matt, but it also was heavily influenced by Zeus the dog. That was his uh, okay. home dog of the week. I, I can get behind that. I'm the. I don't have a huge Purdue fandom. I'm just in it for the James Franklin slander. 
So see, I'm not that guy. I'm a Jane Franklin guy. Like I just, Mm-mm. I uh... too bald, <laughs> too ugly. <laughs> Do you understand that I'm a bald man, Will? What is yeah, happening? You're not ugly like James Franklin's. Okay, is. I'll take that. Yeah. Look, James uh, Franklin, not a good man. Very, very bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's actually fine. I just need him to learn that, like, you can't call a fake field goal on the two. I mean, that would, yeah, that's probably not great. Um, Will, our last subject matter, your team. The fighting Iowa Hawkeyes, the all offense, no defense, all gas, no breaks. Fran McCaffrey experience uh, in Hawkeye country. Our Kim Palm season review for the Hawkeyes. What did you like from them this season? And where is this program going into next year? So they're really interesting because Fran has sort of gained this reputation as a March choker Mm. because he's never made the Sweet 16 still, Mm -hmm. which is, if you think about it, a little surprising, but the only two times you would really say he's choked are last year and this year, which mm-hmm. is convenient for narrative purposes. But uh, I don't know, man. Iowa was really good basically all season long, but kept losing close game after close game. Like two-point loss to Rutgers, four-point double overtime loss to Penn State, five points at home to Michigan, two points away to Illinois, four points at home to Illinois. But they kept demolishing basically everybody else. Like, when you, be, I know Ohio State was not hot last year, but when you beat them by 13 on the road, I'm impressed. Same with beating Michigan by double digits on the road. And then they put it all together for the Big Ten Conference Tournament, won the whole thing, and I thought they re- very well could go to the Final Four. Uh, I was not convinced by them defensively at all. I, th- I mean, they finished 80th, and I felt that was kind of generous by Ken Palm. But they finished the year top five offensively, never turned it over. They're actually uh, number one in America in terms of uh, the lowest amount of unforced errors. Hmm. So they they measure steals and unforced turnovers separately, and Iowa made the fewest. That's a fundamentally very good offense uh, that always shoots well and has now, you know, two of the last, actually two years in a row, generated a serious National Player of the Year contender. Um, but the problem is March, right? So last year or the year before this, two seed, top five in Ken Palm for most of the year, get blown out by Oregon in the round of 32. This past season, five seed, top 15 in Ken Palm for most of the year, uh, probably one of the easiest Sweet 16 paths a team had. Mm -hmm. Uh, You faced Richmond, who entered the tournament 85th in Ken Palm. And you're either going to play a 13 seed or Providence, the worst rated four seed in tournament history. And they blew it. They shot terribly, couldn't get out of their own way, scored 63 points after, you know, I I think they hadn't been that low in a game in two months. And it was against Richmond, who's not a good defense. Mm -hmm. So they're an interesting team to me where, what Fran McCaffrey has built is a lot better than what people give him credit for. So you think about Iowa before he got there. Yes, Steve Alford made a few NCAA tournaments, but they closed the Todd Licklider era by finishing 174th in Ken Palm. And they didn't make the tournament until Fran's fourth season. But you look at the last four seasons now, 2019 to present, and these are the finishes, 37th, 23rd, 7th, 13th. That's mm-hmm. a really good and consistent run where you've overturned the whole roster. You saw Luca Garza grow from bench player to national player of the year. 
and you turn Keegan Murray into from a guy nobody knew about to a top five pick. He is a very good coach. And to his credit, he's calmed down immensely on the sideline. I feel like our amount of Fran blowups has greatly dissipated, Mm -hmm. which has made them a little less exciting to watch. But, I mean, you can still count on Iowa to dump in a lot of points. And even though Iowa's got to replace about half of their scoring this year, most obviously Keegan Murray, I feel confident they're going to make the tournament again, first off. And I also feel confident they're going to be like a seven seed or whatever again. Um, the brother's still there. Years, huh? The brother's still there. So you don't lose yeah. both Murrays. Chris Murray, my mm-hmm. fave, is still there. Um, and Pat McCaffrey, who I swear is 29 years old, is still yes. there. The, they, I don't know. It's kind of like how the Bay. Wait, Himes, is McCaffrey back for another year? Yes, Patrick McCaffrey's back for another year. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and I think, unless I'm mistaken, he actually has another year of eligibility. Goodness gracious. So he... I know. Oh, he's only 22. That is stunning right. to me. Yeah, he's a redshirt junior, so he has another year if he wants it. I just, when I look at it too, man, so one of the things that I think, uh, Wisecamp's gone though, right? There's no yeah. way he's back. Okay. Um, the Fran stuff, I just, what do you want Iowa fo- or Iowa basketball to be? Like, what, how dominant do you want them to be? Like, Fran has this thing cooking. Like you said, Keegan goes in the top five. Luca Garza, just an absolute force before him where they're putting out stars. They're developing guys. They have a system that works. They win a lot of Big Ten games. They're consistently in March. Like, Iowa's a program where you have to – there is a ceiling and there is this ultimate thing where you're like – this is pretty good. Like this, it could be a lot worse for Iowa basketball. Like Fran's a great coach. And I think he should just have however long he wants to do it. He should be allowed to be the Iowa coach until then. Like you can say what you want about the defense and that will always be a problem. But it's like, man, the dude turned Luca Garza into an absolute machine at Iowa, gets him drafted an absolute menace. Like you said, Keegan Murray, it's easy to look at him now and him be a top five pick, but it's like, that's not what he came in as. Like people did not see him being that kind of player. And I think Iowa deserves a lot of credit. Like Iowa basketball is an extremely good program. They're the health is good. They play a good style, a modern style. It's just, maybe the defense will just never come, but like one March, they're going to get super hot with the right pieces around them. I just, I think it's, we'll just see what happens, but I think he's good enough where if you're an Iowa fan, you should feel very good about where the program is on the basketball front. Yeah. And I'll give you, so before we go, guess where Iowa ranks in terms of big 10 basketball budgets. Ooh, I would guess near the bottom 11th. Yeah. And so to be in the bottom four, I'm on big 10 basketball, budgets, but constantly year over year making the tournament mm-hmm. and really rising to this level of consistent top 20 program. Yeah. He's a good coach. Uh, he needs more credit than he gets. I agree. Uh, Will Warren, find you on Twitter, Stats by Will. Go to statsbywill.com. Bookmark that today if you have not already done so. Uh, and if you like this show and all of our content over here on the Chase Months Podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network, make sure you leave us a five star rating interview and tell us why you love. Uh, listening to Stats by Will on this podcast. Like my dad, you're in the top three. He tells me all the time. He's like, I like Will. Uh, Will's great. Uh, so you're in the you're in the top three with uh, Bob Thomas here on the podcast. So uh, <laughs> Will, thank you as always, my friend. I'm going to go head into Neyland and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, buddy. Wait, last second prediction. Uh-oh. I'm going to go Tennessee 54-17. See, I said 56-14. 
So okay. we'll uh, we're right there. Everyone's Please got God, don't points. let this be a really bad cold take. <laughs> I hope not, man. But it's also just nice that we can the Jeremy Pruitt era and the just the anemic offenses that we had to sit through for years is is gone. A thing of the past that you're just like 56 should be doable. Like, yeah, that's a fun thing because uh, scoring points is fun. Well, Warren, thank you as always. I'll talk to you next week. Hello and welcome back to the Chase Almost Podcast here on the Blue Wire Pod Network, where I am now joined by one of my favorite NFL writers. Uh, as the folks who are very familiar with this podcast know, Dalton Miller, always on this podcast. Well, we love the PFN uh, Pro Football Network, and we had to bring in Mike K with the NFL season being exactly a week away. Mike, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Are you ready for some football? Uh, I apologize for framing it that way. <laughs> it's okay. Who doesn't need a cliche or two? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely ready for some football. I'm ready for the season to kind of begin. Um, when you were doing your summer research, what jumped out to you the most? What did you not expect to find when you were kind of outlining uh, how you think this season's going to go and just getting ready for the season? What kind of pop for you were like, oh, I did not expect to learn this or feel this way after uh, doing some deep dives? You know, I, I think the use of 22 and 21 personnel is hmm. kind of slowly you know, being resuscitated. I think Mm -hmm. teams are trying to find ways to get multiple guys in the backfield to give mismatches. Um, And I think when you look at two running back formations, it's not just about having a fullback. Sometimes you use what's termed pony Mm -hmm. uh, formations with two running backs. uh, And it gives you a couple of different options. I think when you look at the way that the Falcons use Cordero Patterson or the Panthers trading for uh, someone like, uh, LaVisca Chenault, I think it shows you that teams want to move guys around and it's not just about, you know, stacking the deck on the outside. It's it's about moving pieces to fit different puzzles. That's interesting. I mean, we got Cordero Patterson. Um, he's just uh, he's <laughs> a Swiss Army knife in a lot of ways and was a pleasant surprise um, in Atlanta last year. But you draft Tyler Algier out of BYU and um we're going to see like Ferkser, uh, what he does uh, with this group, John Fitzpatrick, what kind of player he'll be. But I mean, Felipe Franks might be another example of this where tight end quarterback, like what you're saying, where he can be lined up in the backfield. He can be lined up in different spots, especially in the. It seems like this will pop up maybe more in the red zone just to give more looks and uh, make that easier. Is that what you're thinking, too? Yeah, I mean, look, I think when you look at the teams that use a fullback, Mm. most of them are some of the top running teams in the league. And I think when you see how much the Shanahan offense is kind of spread out throughout the league, it's forced other people to be creative. Arthur Smith's a very creative guy. And I think he's a big believer in the old adage that big people beat up little people. I mean, you see the way he utilizes heavy fronts with tight ends. You see the way he wants to use different running backs and rotations. You see that he really prefers size at wide receiver. Um, so I think when you look at the the ingredients for that, yeah, it's definitely a red zone package. I like that he's not rigid, though, because that was a worry for me of this is my style. This is what I'm looking for, because like he brings in Brian Edwards, right? He brings in Auden Tate, uh, but then Kadero Hodge pops 
in the preseason and it's like, well, we're not cutting him. Uh, he's playing. And uh, if that means we have to move on from Auden Tate, then that's what we'll do. Um, so I think he has that preference, like you said, of he wants big, big, big. But if a smaller player is better and pops and outperforms the bigger player, then he has no qualms adjusting his style a little bit. But you can definitely tell uh, that is his primary focus. And he just hopes that those guys pan out. But if they don't, he's not going to just play the guy just because they're they're long and big, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think he learned that too in Tennessee. I think mm. I think working under guys who have played in the league, somebody like like Mike Vrabel, um, I, I think is really helpful for him. And I mm. think him being the guy who's learning from a defensive minded head coach also shows you how he's going to kind of maneuver around and figure out ways. Oh, well, if the defense is going to react this way, I'm going to do this. And if the defense reacts to this, I'm going to do that. You know, so I think uh, Arthur Smith was a guy who I championed is, is probably the best candidate on the market last year. Um, I was covering the Eagles coaching search and, you know, Nick Sirianni came out of nowhere, was a great mm-hmm. candidate, didn't get a lot of buzz. But Arthur Smith was a guy that I thought made a lot of sense for Philly. He ends up in Atlanta. I thought they significantly overachieved based on their roster last year. I'm glad that they realized that and then really triggered the the rebuild this year. I'm just so excited for Kyle Pitts. Like just what he's doing. I just, I cannot wait for a fully unleashed uh, Kyle Pitts. He's just going to be, I think, is it this year where you think that around the league, it's like, oh, he's tied in number one pretty, pretty early. Do you think like, it feels like he's going to pass Kittle and Kelsey. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when you look at plays like in the preseason where he's lining out, uh, lining up outside and beating mm. Bryce Hall <laughs> on not just size but speed, yeah, I think that that kind of triggers that ascension. And the thing is, too, is like Kyle Pitts isn't really a tight end; he's mm. just an every he's a unicorn. Um, they, they don't make him like that. He's just a rarefied stud, and I think. Uh, you know, similar, like he's obviously significantly more physically talented than Zach Ertz, but the Eagles uh, during the Doug Peterson era used to put Zach Ertz outside all the time because they didn't have a natural X receiver. Hmm. So you can use him in different ways. Obviously he can get yards after the catch that Zach Ertz was not able to. Um, And I think that that kind of helps you. It kind of helps you get the mismessages you want. Do you really want to put a safety outside where he could just kind of run inside with a slant or a post and, and you're done? Or do you want to put a corner on him and then another wide receiver maybe gets a better matchup? So I think he's a guy that's, that's a formation buster in a lot of ways. And he can kind of look, you can run the same three plays, but if, Kyle Pitts is lined up at the Y position one play, the X position another, and the Z position another, you're having to attack it in multiple different ways. And I think that's what's appealing about Kyle Pitts. You followed around Malik Willis uh, for the joint practice between uh, Tennessee and Tampa Bay. And I'm curious from your perspective, what did you learn about Malik Willis and his game and his just his pedigree and like what you think he's actually going to be as a as a Tennessee tight end and just a pro because he was um, a really difficult player. It seemed like for a lot of talent evaluators to figure out and um, a lot of folks just penciled in, oh, uh, Tomlin, uh, it seems like that was the fit or if he fell a little bit late, if there's anybody who's going to go in the first, it's it's Malik Willis and then they take Kenny Pickett instead and he doesn't go in the first round. He goes to Tennessee where obviously there was that weird uh, kerfuffle 
with Ryan Tannehill and him of like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to, it's not my job to uh, get this guy ready to take my job. But what did you find in terms of on the field production and his throwing style mechanics and what you think he'll be in that uh, offense uh, in, uh, in Tennessee? Well, he's a work in progress. And I think mm-hmm. that's what, well, not everybody could, you know, evaluate his upside, I think everybody kind of admitted, you know, well, this class in general needed time. And I think when you look at Malik, he's extremely self-aware. I think that was my biggest takeaway hmm. of all this. He wants to avoid scrambling at the first, you know, itch, right? Like he doesn't, he knows he can run, um, but he wants to become a better pocket passer. It's something not to hone too heavily on on the Eagles, but that's something Donovan McNabb really worked on early in his career. Sure, you have the mobility, but do you want to be the one-trick dual-threat quarterback, right? Like, Lamar Jackson can sling it. Believe me, mm. that was the first stop on my tra- training camp tour. I know a lot of people talk about his mobility and how he's using that offense, but he can sling it. He's got an amazing arm. Um, and Malik definitely has a, a very talented arm strength. He is a guy who can throw the football. But I think sometimes when you're playing on a team and you're the top guy on the team and you're the top guy on the offense by a country mile, like I think that kind of kind of gives you some bad habits, right? Like you play hero ball. Look at Carson Wentz. I mean, he was the same way at North Dakota State, then in Philly, then in uh, Indianapolis, and it didn't work out in two of those stops. So I think Mm -hmm. when you look at Malik Willis, he's a guy who kind of has to learn more about himself as a pro. Um, And I think Ryan Tannehill's actually, while he might not take an active mentor role, I think he's a really good guy to learn from because Ryan Tannehill is another guy who really had to learn his arm, learn Mm -hmm. his position in the NFL, learn his attributes, his strengths, his weaknesses. And that took a lot of time, even more like even to the point where he really didn't learn until he got to Tennessee. Right. He had to take a step back. And I think what's impressive about Malik, when I documented him for 119 minutes, in training camp uh, was he is a guy who really is focused on, on learning after the mistake. So he'll go up to the quarterback's coach and, and discuss every mistake he's made. He'll go up to the offensive coordinator, Todd Downing, Downing and, and, and talk to him about it. I think that that's really, really impressive because there are a lot of young guys who have to fake it till they make it. He's not mm-hmm. a guy who's trying to do that. He's a guy who's trying to earn, earn those reps, right? Like he's trying to earn that first team offense. He doesn't think he's arrived. He knows that he has mistakes that need to be corrected. And I think that that's really appealing if you're a coach or a fan. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, do you think he starts for another team this year? Does that happen? No. No. no, but I do think he starts for the San Francisco 49ers. Do you? Is it because of an injury to Trey Lance or do you think he finds his way in because Trey Lance struggles and Kyle pivots? I think that they are under an immense amount of pressure to win now. Um, and from the perspective of that contract, I don't think he signs that unless he thinks that he's going to get back on the field. Even with the restructure and the pay decrease. Right, right. I don't don't think you do that otherwise. Um, Because really, he had the leverage of time on his hands. He could get cut 
and yeah, maybe he doesn't make a lot of money, but he's going somewhere else where he feels like he can play. And I, I think mm-hmm. you only make that move if you feel like, you know, Trey Lance has some lumps in his game. And look, if they start off like three and seven, um, you're going to turn to the, the veteran. And they have a built-in excuse of saying, look, this guy hasn't played in a while. He played, you know, just over a dozen, you know, college games, like maybe he does need more seasoning. We still believe in him, but we are a team that, that got very far in the playoffs last year with this guy and he can help us rebound. Is that wise in your estimation? No, no. (laughs) I thought this signing was not smart at all. Actually, Mm -hmm. as somebody who covered uh, Nick Foles and Carson Wentz's dynamic and Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts dynamic when you have a guy who can cultivate the locker room because of what he's done in his career behind a guy who's got less experience and who hasn't accomplished those things, it can divide a locker room. It can create a lot of pressure that's completely unnecessary. It's one thing to bring in a Teddy Bridgewater type who's, you know, kind of become an NFL nomad because of injury history or inconsistency. He hasn't won anything. He's never been an MVP. There's no, you know, he didn't lead a team to a Super Bowl. There, like, there's not that sort of thing. I think, like, you look at Joe Flacco, right? Like, Joe Flacco was a Super Bowl MVP almost a decade ago, right? Like, it's not, it's not like he is still prime Joe Flacco. But I think when you look at Somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo, he's led the 49ers to a Super Bowl and an NFC title game in the span of three years. I mean, it's not like this guy is is go for broke, um, just middle of the road Case Keenum, right? So, again, I I think this is is a situation that bears watching. I think, look, Kyle's not a a patient guy. He's not. Mm -hmm. Neither was his father, frankly. And I think when you look at the way that he handled the Kirk Cousins RG3 situation in Washington, eventually he's going to have to make a decision to improve. And I Mm. think, look, Kyle has had his, like, he's a high variance performer, right? He's had his very high highs in the postseason and he's had his very, very low regular seasons. So really this is about solidifying yourself. And if Trey Lance bombs off the bat, you're, you're really in a, in a really tough spot. Is that it for Trey Lance though? If that happens in San Francisco, like that's it, you can't come back from that. I don't think so because I think he's in a weird spot where he's technically like, he's kind of in that Josh Freeman sort of space Mm. where it's like, he didn't have a ton of, you know, experience he's still extremely young he's got all these raw tools i'm not comparing to them personality wise or whatever but like you're in a situation where you can say okay hold up wait a minute like yeah we gave him the year but there's still some more to this like Mm -hmm. you still have to find some upside okay we kind of rushed this this isn't a confidence thing this is a natural progression thing so we can take a step back so we can take four steps forward next year Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, it sounds like to me, my my guess here, uh, Mike, is that you're a big believer in the Eagles this year. Is that correct? I don't know about big believer, but I do think their roster is the top five roster. I think I think there's a lot of uncertainty about that defense. So they stacked this defense with Jordan Davis, and um, they just traded for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. They 
uh, signed Kaiser White. They brought in Nicobe Dean. They re-signed TJ Edwards in the middle of last season. They gave Avante Maddox an extension last year. They bring in James Bradbury. Uh, Darius Slay plays at a Pro Bowl level. Like, there's a lot there on the surface. Mm-hmm. But last year, Jonathan Gannon's defense couldn't stop anyone who had even like a middling quarterback. Mm-hmm. And they played very, very soft. I think he has the pieces to play his kind of hybrid uh, zone heavy defense this year. The problem is we don't know, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. the offense, like, as much as everybody's talking about Jalen Hurts, is significantly more proven than the defense because you've got all these great pieces, including Hassan Reddick, who I spaced on Mm. uh and it's very much improved from a personnel standpoint but if the coordinator can't figure out how to get all the pieces together that doesn't mean anything we've seen teams with very talented players play very well individually but not as a unit and that is a concern um you know i do think cj uh gardner johnson brings a lot of uh, grit to that team. I think they came off kind of soft or they played kind of soft as a defense last year, or at least that's the reputation um, that I was under the impression they had. Um, I had heard from people on other teams that, that it was one of the easier defenses to figure out. That was something hmm. that was also reported by several other people as well. Um, but this is a team that I think now has some premium talent. They have two number one esque corners, uh, they have one of the better nickel corners in the league. Um, Marcus Epps is kind of a guy that's not known on the national level, but he's a guy who's consistently improved throughout his years. I still think he's kind of a middling starter. John C. Gardner Johnson's a guy who's used to playing nickel corner, but is going to move more to a strong safety look. But it, the way that the Eagles play safety, there's really no free or strong. It's just hmm. kind of based on task. And look, I, I think their linebacker group is really improved. I, I like Kaiser White. I think a lot of people kind of overestimated how well N'Kobe Dean would adjust to the NFL. I still think that's a work in progress. I think TJ Ed- Edwards is still head and shoulders better than he is at this moment. Mm. But he also has the benefit of being an incumbent player who's played for for four years and and uh, knows the, the defense because he was here last year. Um, and then I think when you look at the defensive line, they've got a lot of moving parts. But can Fletcher Cox get back to being Fletcher Cox? Siobhan Hargrave, can he repeat his Pro Bowl production from last year? Uh, is Josh Sweat a flash in the pan, or is he legitimately a guy who can take the next step and be a special player? Brandon Graham's coming off an Achilles injury. Does he still have the burst from from camp? It looks so, but we'll see. Then when you look at the potential injuries, if any of those guys go down, there's kind of a big drop off. And so I think if the Eagles can can weather the storm the way they did in 2017 with injuries on defense where they basically didn't have many outside of Ronald Darby, I think they'll do all right. I think offensively, you look at the offensive line, they're too deep at every position. Um, the running back group is kind of questionable just because Miles Sanders has this history of injuries. He's got a hamstring injury. We don't know if he's going to be ready for week one. Um, I'm a big fan of Boston Scott. I think he's a very talented change of pace back. They really like Kenny, Ga- uh, Kenny Gainwell. Um, but the guy to watch out for is AJ Brown, who Jalen mm. Hurts targeted like, if there was a target distribution thing, he's probably been targeted about 65% of the time, uh, and he is very good. He's what I call a QB maker. We were talking about Ryan hmm. Tannehill. A.J. Brown is a guy who can make your QB better. There's only about 
four to five prototypical X receivers in the league who can get off press coverage, can uh, make plays after the catch, can do all these special things. He's one of those guys. And I think hmm. when we look at A.J. Brown's impact on Devontae Smith, that's really interesting because Devontae Smith was working all three positions. If he's moving to Z and, and the slot, he's not going to face as much press coverage, and he's already a dynamic route runner. That will open up space for him. And then the fact that you have an X receiver and a Z receiver both playing at their highest potential, that's going to open up lanes for everybody to eat underneath. Zach Pascal's had a really good summer. Uh, Quez Watkins is really developing in the slot. Uh, Dallas Goddard is maybe the most overlooked tight end in the league. So I, I think there's a lot of pieces there. But again, we're trying to figure out this coaching staff, which is very young. They have one year of experience as a group. Everybody's back. But Jalen Hurts has to be able to kind of pay back the front office for all these these uh, great things that they've added to the roster. Interesting. Do you think they win the NFC East this year? Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty I think it's going to be very hard for them to 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 not win 10 games. I think I mean, I have them winning 11 games. I have them going oh, wow. to win 6. Uh they won 9 games last year and you know, I I see improvement in Hertz's throwing mechanics. I think he's very confident throwing deep to both Smith and Brown. That's something that's improved. And his number one improvement in my opinion is getting the ball out uh to the middle of the field. He really avoided the middle of the field a lot last year. And I think he's seeing things much better. Last thing, um, the Patriots, a lot has been made about the lack of coordinator titles and uh, everyone talking about what the offense has looked like in camp. Um, based on what you saw last year and what you saw from Mac Jones and what they've brought in uh, this off season, uh, new off the line coach, because obviously McDaniels took their off the line coach uh, over to Vegas. Um, are you concerned or is there, cause I wonder back and forth of like, what is still the floor with Belichick in this group? Like what's the floor? I feel like it's still higher than Miami and, and New York. Like I still would just, it, it's so hard to envision like a bottoming out situation with this group. Um, and still a lot of talent on that defense. Do you share that sentiment that there might be a little bit too much overblown concern about what the offense is looking like in training camp or do you think that could 1000% torpedo this season and really have one of the worst Belichick years uh, in the last 20? I'm kind of like you. I kind of go back and forth because mm. Joe Judge coached a team that didn't score, that scored over 30 points or actually didn't score over 30 or no, they scored over 30 points once in two seasons. Um, and I'm not saying he, I mean, he didn't call the offense, but as a head coach, if you don't have that much, like you have influence, mm. And I think that that's concerning. I mean, Matt Patricia doesn't really have a lot of experience with the offense. Um, and frankly, Josh McDaniels is a very good offensive coordinator. That's the drop off, right? Mm. Like, to be fair to Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, like, you're talking about a top five offensive coordinator in the league dropping mm. down to two inexperienced guys. That's really tough to, to replicate or even to match. And I think. Uh, their defense is very good. I think they have really good talent. But yeah, like you said, I think, you know, the second year is normally when QBs take their biggest leap. And I, I do wonder how much to the detriment Mac Jones is going to have because of these two inexperienced offensive minds. And I think there is frustration. There should mm -hmm. be. 
frankly, because the offense didn't look very good. But I, it's so hard to bet off, bet against Bill Belichick. It's just like, it's not something you do. And so I think, yeah, they could have a middling season. I thought last year they were going to be middling. This year, mm-hmm. I, I kind of share the same sentiment, but for different reasons. I didn't think the defense was going to be as good as it was last year. And I think, and I didn't think Mac was going to be that good. This year, I think Mac will be good. It'll just be <laughs> what's going on with the coordination. It it's very similar to the Eagles' defense, right? Like we hmm. don't know what it, this is going to look like, and I think that that's a concern if you're a Patriots fan because for 25 years you've kind of known what you were going to get, right? Hmm. I'm surprised they didn't like Bill O'Brien stick, sticking around in Alabama and just being comfortable uh, being Bryce Young's OC. I'm surprised that Bill did not uh, push harder uh, to bring in Bill O'Brien back into the fold or bring in some offensive mind that he was uh, familiar with to to replace McDaniels. But I don't know. I think at the very least, it's fascinating. I'm glad they're doing it. Like this is such a fun Rorsach test of like, hey coordinators if you're an elite coach you can do whatever you want to do and you can figure it out and then uh we'll see what happens i like uh, variety in uh in my nfl and if this is some weird stuff where joe judge calls plays one week and matt patricia calls plays the next week i'm 1000 percent here for that content um mike what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at pfn this week well, uh, we're breaking down a lot of the final cuts. We're breaking down the waiver claims. We're we're kind of doing everything. I mean, you know, PFN's kind of your soup, du, you know, the soup du jour uh, specialty. Where you, if you need fantasy advice, if you need to check out PFN Pass, where we have a great uh, list of products for a, from a fantasy perspective. Um, we also have our mock draft simulator. It's already ready for next year. If you if you're already looking ahead, if you don't feel like your team's gonna do very much, if you're a Giants fan probably, um, or a Seahawks fan, uh, and then you know again we, we've got this analysis on this huge Russell Wilson contract. I think uh, we've got a lot of differing perspectives. So um, come check it out, hang out, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you have any questions. I'm hosting. Uh, an AMA uh, today on Thursday at at two o'clock. So uh, feel free to check that out. There you go, Mike. Thank you so much for the time. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to reconnect again soon. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. Still the aforementioned Chase Thomas. And I'm joined now by Bearden head football coach here in East Tennessee, Josh Jones. Josh, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Chase. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, thank you for being here. So an interesting start to the season, right? Like you, you host West. That doesn't go your way. But then this week you get uh, this past week, rather, you get Oak Ridge at home. You're one and one through two weeks. Did you see about what you expected for your team through two weeks? What were some big surprises for you? And uh, what do you make of uh, the first two weeks of the season for the Bulldogs? You know, we knew, we knew coming in uh, with our schedule, uh, it was going to be really tough. You know, I mean, some people say, oh, it's front loaded. No, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty well balanced from, from A to Z mm-hmm. that uh, we, we've got it. We've got a tough schedule. Uh, you know, we, we, we felt like, that with with good weeks of preparation, we would have a chance against pretty much anybody we play. We knew some weeks are going to be a little tougher than others. Uh, you know, the West game, we knew West was going to be really good with that many returning starters from a state semifinal team. Coach Brown and his staff always do a great job 
uh, no matter who graduates over there, it looks like you're playing the same West team uh, year after year. And that just says a lot about their programming and stuff. Uh, so we knew that was going to be really tough. You know, we're a, you know, with us being new as a staff, you know, we're a pretty inexperienced football team for the most part. Uh, so you really never know what you're going to get, you know, from snap to snap and series to series. Uh, but, uh, you know, the kids battled for a long time. We just made too many mistakes, you know, to win that ball game that night. You know, we had 14, 15 flags, four turnovers. You're not going to beat anybody. You're definitely not going to beat a, a really good football team, well-coached team like West with that. So, so we felt like if we could, you know, fix that, kind of fix us per se, we would have a better shot with Oak Ridge, you know. And Oak Ridge is is golly, man. They're, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with them having played them every year that I was at Powell. And, mm. and uh, this year's Oak Ridge team is really, really, really talented. Uh, good in a lot of places, you know. They're, they're new, you know, new staff and everything. And Coach Cummings is doing a great job over there. Uh, they all, you know, you're all you know, when you're at Oak Ridge, you're always going to have players, and uh, they definitely got them right now. And uh, we were just, you know, fortunate. You know, that's a good football team, and we were able to make one more play than they did. Well, it's interesting you say that one more play because that really is where that game went. It came down to the final play in the end zone. What were you thinking uh, going into that final play? What did you did you expect them to kind of roll out and go to the back of the end zone? Were you expecting maybe uh, they might run it uh, with Dozier or um, Hunley? Like, what, what did it surprise you? What uh, what was going through your mind on that last drive? Well, you know, we we went for it. Let's see, they got they got the ball. It had about, I guess, about 85, 90 yards to go the final drive, you know, and I, I like our defenses. It chances. was almost exactly what you guys did in yeah. uh, in the first half where you went 91 yards uh, first right. quarter. It was about you know, the same spot. Yeah, exactly. You know, so and I like our defense's chances when teams have to go that far against us. Man, um, mm. Oak kept making plays, you know, just kept making plays throughout the drive, and they were getting closer and closer and closer and closer, and your your heart's over beating through your chest and, and everything. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was confident our defense was going to make a play. Our defensive staff does a great job in preparing those guys and getting those guys to play hard. Uh, as far as what play, you know, we had a couple, you know, you know, ideals of what they might try to do. Looked like they were trying to do a little rollout throwback to the back, but we covered mm-hmm. it pretty good. And then the quarterback gets, you know, moved off his launch point and, and leaves the pocket. You know, when that, when that stuff kind of happens, man, it's – it's who knows what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, we, we were in pretty hot pursuit there and had pretty good coverage everywhere. And they had a, they had a young guy kind of sneak in the back of the end zone there, mm. kind of get a little bit uncovered, get get behind us a little bit because our eyes are on the quarterback. And, and luckily it uh, went through his hands and there was no more time on the clock and we were able to come out ahead. What's interesting um, about this game, too, for from your guys' perspective, like you mentioned the defense and just the way your defensive line played in this one was was top-notch and uh, just nothing big. There were no explosive plays, and that's what Oak Ridge and this staff is going to really excel with, and we'll see what happens with Elijah Rodgers and his injury. But with Hayward, with Rodgers, with the guy with Hunley, they're big play guys. And like it, it was literally a snap of the fingers and Oak Ridge was up 46 to seven in the second quarter on South Doyle a week ago. And that's just with the playmakers they have. Um, but that was not the case. There were no real explosive plays given up by your defense. What did you guys do going into the week to kind of make sure that you limited uh, Oak Ridge from really just going off and getting that momentum where it can just be like a snowball effect uh, when those playmakers get going? Well, you know, we're, we're, we're always confident in our defense, but, you know, playmakers scare you to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
as you know, because they can at any point in time score from anywhere on the field. And Oak Ridge has, has a handful of those guys. Uh, but our, our main goal was just literally just do your job. That was our big thing last week was do your job and play with effort, which is, you know, effort's the foundation of our program. And, and we felt like if we did that, we would be okay. But we wanted to make sure, like what we talked about on defense, was make them have to snap the ball again. We, we, we felt like event, as long as we don't give up the, the touchdown plays, we felt like eventually if we would just continue to make them snap the ball again, eventually we're going to get them off the field. And uh, we're, we're going yeah, to get their offense off the field and, and get their punt team on or whatever. Uh, but that was kind of like our big goal is make them snap the ball again. Don't give up the easy touchdowns, you know, and, thing, and things like that. And, uh, you know, they drove the field a time or two. And, and uh, we, we, were, we were able to hold them on some fourth downs, some key fourth downs. And some, we got some key third down stops after some good drives they had. Uh, and, this, you know, our defense has played, our, our, especially in the box. Uh, they, we really played well from front to back, but it, especially in the box, man, they they had a, they played phenomenal uh, last week. You know, wrecked havoc and uh, really gave uh, you know Oak Ridge some fits at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, the B gap was closed on uh, on Friday night. Is something I jotted <laughs> down where it was just they're going to keep trying, but the B gap is closed this night. So I don't. Uh, I was something like I don't think anything's breaking open tonight. This yeah. is just not the way this game's going. Um, but it was interesting to see uh, just. Uh, uh, how this game went and the two heavyweights on that front. I'm curious, are you, is this more of your philosophy just being kind of a time of possession guy and wanting to just kind of keep the ball in your hands and slowly but surely, like, uh, I'll take the three to four yards at a time and not really take the deep shots because that was not really on the table uh, this past week. Is it more of just an offensive line, a quarterback situation that, I mean, it's just a lot for a three step drop and you just don't know if you have the time to get many of those off? Or is that just kind of a philosophy that you want to keep the ball in your hands, limit turnovers, and really just grind teams into submission? Well, you know, with with first off to answer that, this would be kind of a long answer. By no means am I uh, grinded out three mm-hmm. yards in a cloud of dust. I'm a I'm a risk taker, shot taker, all that. But mm-hmm. right now, you know, we're a work in progress on offense. You know, we've got a young quarterback who's growing up every single week, getting better literally every single day, actually. Uh, we've, got an, we've got an inexperienced offensive line who's doing the same, getting better every single day that we go out there. Uh, we've got some playmakers at, re- at receiver and, and, and running back and stuff. But, uh, but right now we're just trying to make sure we don't put our defense in bad, bad spots. You know, we, we, we can lean on our defense a little bit because uh, you know, they're really good. Uh, we feel very comfortable in them getting us the ball back. I just didn't want to put us in a position where, you know, we put the defense in a bad spot. We gave Oak Ridge the short field. Uh, we felt like we were running the ball, I mean, not great, but well enough to kind of keep calling run plays, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hadn't thrown the ball very well that night, so, you know, why, why keep throwing it? If it's, you know, sometimes you have a you know a shooter will have an off night every now and then. Why keep shooting, you know, if you're on an off night kind of deal? Uh, so, you know, we hadn't really thrown the ball that well that night. Felt like we had just enough in the run game where we could kind of run the ball, play defense. We felt like that was going to possibly get us, you know, that was going to be the, the best way for us to get a win that night. I noticed too, what was interesting about your group is you're, you have some length at the wide receiver spot. How are you going to utilize that as the course of the season moves on? Because I mean, obviously in the red zone and some goal line fades, you're going to have some options there. Um, but what, uh, what, what is advantageous about having the kind of link that you do out wide? You know, you know, a lot of people in high, you know, college is different. Everybody's recruiting the tall corners in college. Mm-hmm. 
but a lot of, in high school, a lot of people don't have the tall corners. So you got some, you got some size matchups there. You know, you can throw the ball down the field and hopefully mm-hmm. your guy can go up and play the ball in the air better than the defender can and, and come down with it. We'll definitely get to where, you know, we took, we took some shots against West, uh, cause we felt like that was going to be one of our best chances of possibly scoring, uh, mm-hmm. uh you know, I connected on one, I should say, but missed on a few others. Uh, just against Oak Ridge was just, like I said, just a little bit more conservative. Um, mm-hmm. You know, felt like running the ball. But, no, we, we've got some tall receivers uh, that we'll definitely be taking our fair share of shots with and see if they can come down with it. You know, we you know we work red zone fades all the time at practice. Uh, you know, and then, you know, I'm, I'm not against, you know, drop, drop, dropping back and holding the safety and throwing a one-on-one ball deep down the sidelines back and make a play. I like it. Um, the biggest surprise for you on your team, it could be a position group player through two weeks. Oh, man. Uh, you know, linebackers probably have the most experience on our team, even though a lot of them are – but I would say surprise. Maybe I'll, I'll go with uh, – you know, I'll go. I'll go with D line. Uh, hmm. We start two seniors and a freshman there, uh, but even though we start two seniors, both are very, very inexperienced football players. One is literally a first-year football player in Tyson Pertle, and the hmm. other is uh, Nakia Winter, who's a senior, and he's only re- essentially in like his second year of football. Uh, you know, he's just he just moved to the country a few years ago. And he's like literally like in his second year of football, and obviously we got a freshman up there, so very mm-hmm. very inexperienced. But those guys have played big so far. Uh, they're not very fun to block in practice. They weren't very fun to block in fall camp, and you know so far through the first couple of weeks, they've probably not been very fun for the other teams to to, to block. You know because those guys they they're, they're active. Coach uh, Coach Gibson mm-hmm. and Coach Ab Coach Abernathy do a great job with those guys every day, working their technique and their get off and you know things like that. And uh, right now, I would say surprise-wise was them. You know, linebackers, I'm not surprised. They've played incredibly well. But, you know, the expectation was already there. We felt like that was the most uh, experience we had on our whole entire football team, not just the defense. When you were in the film room this week, what did you see on film uh, that surprised you from the Oak Ridge game? That you were like, in the game, you thought it was this way, and then you put, you put on the tape and you're like, oh, this was not what I saw while, while watching this game. Uh, that's a good, that's a good question. You know, uh, you know, our old line was a lot, they wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. uh, but far from it, but they were night and day better, uh, week two than they were week one, you know, mm. uh, coach Ray, coach Schwartz, uh, coach Howard, those guys, they have a hard week of practice every week. But uh, those guys really responded last week. They were a lot better. Uh, again, still got ways to go there, trying to jail, trying to find the right five, uh, all that good jazz. But but uh, I would say, uh, you know, I thought O-line at times, you know, won some battles. And, you know, Chris's D-line's good. They do a good job. They're real active over there on defense. And, and they're going to win their fair share of battles too. Uh, no matter, you know, how well you do on offense, they're just good. You know, it's hard to be good, you know, good good units and good teams but uh i, I you know it's hard to really say because we kind of you know we've got huddle sidelines so we kind of watch watch you know i kind of watch film throughout the game you know from series to series mm-hmm. you know, as it goes and uh i wouldn't say probably any, any real surprises but i was really really proud of the o-line and, and, and the fact of you know how much better they got between week one and week two 
Going into week three, um, this is uh, you're going up against a team that's 0-2 on the year. Um, kind of like a get-right game for you guys to get healthy after <laughs> just a brutal start uh, to the season a little bit. Uh, what are you most looking for out of your team uh, this week? You know, and I feel like I told the kids first thing on Monday, you know, Sunday we come in and we are, it's all about the previous game, trying to get better from the previous game, watching film, doing corrections, doing correction periods, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Monday's when we turn the page and that the game is over with. The previous game's over with. And we we shift focus to the to the new game. And the first thing I told the team on Monday was, you know, don't pay attention to their record. Um, mm-hmm. Those guys play hard. Coach Miner and his staff have done a really good job in getting those guys to play hard. Uh, offensively, you know, they're a lot they're a lot better. Uh, defensively, they play really hard, especially in the box. Uh, you know, kind of that's kind of you know, Coach Miner's trademark. You know, defense being in Oak Ridge, we you know, point each other a few times out there they're always really good you can tell that his personality is is blended onto the team uh but you know i, I told the kids also this we we just got to continue to work on us you know it's, it's about us getting better we got to get better every single week especially offensively uh, uh we've had a great week of practice uh, we know it's not going to be easy. We're zero and zero in the region, and that's what matters most. And Hardin Valley is zero zero in the region, and they would love nothing more than to come over here and it's kind of West Knoxville rivalry a little bit. And uh, they'd love probably nothing more than to come over and get in a win. And we got to make sure that uh, we're not, you know, feeling good about ourselves from last week or anything like that. We got to be hungry for wins. You know, wins are hard to come by, especially in Region Two Six A. And uh, so we got to make sure we match their intensity and effort. And uh, hopefully be more physical because most of the time the more physical team is going to win, and uh, that's just kind of what we what we believe is the recipe right now for us to have success. And hopefully we can just continue to get better on offense. Yeah, we was better. Well, I know it might not have looked like it, but we were a lot better in week two on offense than we was week one. And I hope like heck that we can uh, be a whole lot better week three than we was week two. I like it. I like it, Coach. We we end on this. So, Tennessee, I'll be in the building tonight uh, for the return of the Vols. No, you're a Tennessee guy. Yep. How do you think tonight goes? This is yep. your opportunity. Clairvoyant Josh Jones when this goes up tomorrow. How do you think the, the game tonight goes against Ball State? Oh, man, I'm actually going to be in the building myself. I can't wait. Me and some of the there you go. I can't wait to get – I love to go watch football. You know, it's when I coach mm-hmm. football, it's stressful. It's – you know, anxiety's high and all that good jazz, but I love to go get me some Coke and popcorn and, and watch football. That's what I'll be doing tonight with no stress. I ain't got to worry about third down calls or what coverage are they in or what pressure they bring in or what front they're in. But uh, tonight I would say it's uh, going to be, you know, Ball State's really good on offense. Um, mm. you know, they do a good job. They run some They run some of the New, England, uh, New Orleans Saints stuff and uh, mm. do a really good job scheme-wise there. And uh, But I think it's, it's go – Ball's big tonight. I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll put a score out there. Who knows how accurate I'll be? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with 55-14. Uh, big orange. Ooh, okay. I, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. That'll be fun. Uh, this is gonna be a yeah. fun season. And everything's back, man. Uh, I love that high school football starts a few weeks before everything, so you kind of get acclimated yep. and you build up into everything and. Um. Yeah. Just. Uh. It's gonna be a fun time. Fall in the South. There's nothing quite like it. Josh Jones. How do the good folks uh, check out uh, and support the Beard and Football program uh, going forward as we wrap up here? Yeah. Get, you know, we're on Twitter. We we got pretty good presence on Twitter at Beard and FB. Uh. You know, man, we'd love to have y'all come out to any ball games and support us. These kids have worked really hard. My staff, our staff, has worked really hard. Uh. You know, trying to just. We want to be consistent, you know. When, when mm. we, we, we want to win ball games and be a consistent winner. And when teams play Bearden, 
know that they're going to be in for a dog fight, no pun intended. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of what we're here to do. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been awesome. And these kids are great. They're great kids. You know, the cover wasn't bare. Uh, just trying to get a little bit more experience. We, and you can only do that. There's no better teacher than experience. And we can only do that with uh, reps. Absolutely. And I will tell you, like being on the sidelines for last week, um, it was jarring because I was confused as to why you guys were on the other side. You were on basically the away side. So is it yep. true? Is it is it easier for you guys to be kind of away from the noise of the student section to move on? Because that I thought I was in the wrong side. Like I was totally discombobulated last week. Or I was like, wait, is that are they just wearing the home uniform? What is going on this week? Um, so what was the reasoning behind that? Is that what it is? Just the, the background behind yeah. you guys? It's just easier? Yeah, so we made the decision. You know, the staff brought the ideal to me. I liked the ideal, so I took it. Uh-huh. And they supported it. We made mm-hmm. the decision to move to the uh, visiting side where there was no, there's no fans. Yeah, uh, the student section sits right, and the the, the beard student section is unbelievable. They're close, man. The best I've ever been a part of. I've been in some mm-hmm. places, good student sections like Powell places, and the beard student section is unbelievable, man. It, it, I don't even know who would be a distant second, but. They're literally right there behind the, the the old home side, which is now the new visitor side, and 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 they are turned up. You know, they're mm. they're on, and uh, so I would much rather the other team have to hear all that than, than us. So we can get over there a little bit and, and get kind of calm, cool to collect, and just kind of focus on the football game. You know, less a lot less distractions going on over there. There you go, Coach. Thank you so much for making the time today. This was a lot of fun, and uh, we'll have to check back in again later this season. Hey, anytime. You're welcome anytime. Well, welcome any football anytime. Chase, I appreciate you. I'll be on. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.